when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hey, this is Bob Holly, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. Finally happy to have the guy on the line. Uh, it's been communication for a while now, but actually on the phone right now is well-known for amateur wrestling, MMA fighting, professional wrestling. Guy has his hand in several different fields. Dan the Beast Severin. Dan, what's going on? You name it, it's going on. Uh, you can say that uh, even though uh, I put my retirement notice out, uh, you, you can simply say I pulled one iron out of the fire and I threw three more back in. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, well, it's actually As good. Saying, you, you may have to excuse my voice there just a little bit. Uh, this past Saturday, I was at an amateur wrestling tournament. I'm a volunteer coach for the local 
co-author of Junior High Wrestling Program, and uh, they had uh, their conference meet, and the uh, old Coach Severn was barking up a storm, and needless to say, the young men, they did just fine. Well, that's good to hear the team just did just fine. But speaking of the amateur wrestling, it's actually good that we're having you on now because of the uh, hot topic that I guess about this two weeks to a month now uh, with the Olympics. Uh, do you have an opinion on what's going on with the amateur wrestling with the Olympics in 2020? Well, I mean, you know, when, I, when I first heard about it, I was almost like flabbergasted. I said, you got to be kidding me. Uh, of course, some people that will be listening to this will be rather offended, but, you know, I'll get over that. Uh, to me, it's like, when you look at a couple of the most the founding sports programs in the original Olympic Games, was some form of a track, uh, a field of environment for running and wrestling, where you had two mainstays. And for them to want to get rid of wrestling is unbelievable. So you, to me, you might as well simply change the name of the, uh, of the Olympic game altogether. You're still allowing stuff like badminton, ping pong, uh, synchronized swimming. And I don't even know what that one gymnastic thing is that they, they dance around twirling these little ribbons on the gymnastic because I don't even know what that is in the first place. You know, I endure these other sports hoping to catch a glimpse or two of wrestling. So it just boggles my mind that they're looking at trying to eliminate it, although there are a couple more votes that will be taking place between now and September to really – uh, find out the, the, uh, the final fate of wrestling and the Olympic Games. Well, do you would, do you think a uh, uproar that has been going on online and other venues will allow to stay in the Olympic Games? Well, I, I really, I, I don't jump online and, and then get into too many chat rooms and stuff like this. I'm aware of what's taking place. I'd say just a little bit on the superficial type aspect, you know, and I've I've done probably a couple dozen interviews already just expressing my opinion. And as I said earlier, you know, some other sports might be a little offended that I'm jumping on their case. But, but to me, it's like, you know, equestrian, for example. It boggles my mind that, that they allow that in the Olympic sport because in reality, I always thought it was a human being that was supposed to go out there and put in the best effort forward, not because I have a better horse than you. And again, again just, I probably go into other sports, the same type of aspect right there. Again, just going back to saying that wrestling uh, should not be eliminated. At the same token, the sport of wrestling, your, your two styles, the Roman wrestling and freestyle, are part of the, the Olympic Games. That has changed immensely from the sport that I first grew up with. And what I've competed in, it has changed so much, it, it almost doesn't resemble what I once knew, and that's a shame that uh, they've got this little world governing body by the name of Fila that, that continues to change uh, the sport, and then to me, in, in a way, almost destroy it from, from its original roots. If you're to watch what past wrestling really looked like, and, and, and the true, uh, truly athletic between uh, two human beings to what it is now. To me, it's a game of sumo. As long as I push you out of bounds, I score a point. Actual technique and stuff like this have just gone to the sideline. And then again, that's I, I, uh, I hold 
FILA totally responsible for not doing their job? Well, as far as scoring and everything you just mentioned there, you actually were involved with a, uh, what still to this day some people say, uh, scoring controversy back in the 80s going for the Olympics. Uh, what, what do you remember of that, and has your feelings changed at all as far as what happened with you? Adam, I, I may have to go take my medication right now. <laughs> you're you're, you're uh, reopening a Pandora's box there for myself. Uh, I mean, honestly, I would have retired from athletics altogether as of the 1984 Olympic Games had been gone the way that they should have gone for me. I should have been on the Olympic team. I should have been the Olympic champion. But instead, I was the alternate, and I had to sit up in the stands and watch the man ahead of me uh, win the gold medal. Uh, he went unscored upon. Literally everybody he wrestled, I had pinned in the previous year or two of competition. So it would have been one of the easiest gold medals in the world to have won, you know, at that time and at that, where I was at, at the peak of of my uh, career, you know. You know, bouncing forward, um, you know, Jeff Platnick and I get to be reacquainted to the Ultimate Fighting Championships. Uh, um, he made a comment from, uh, and uh, at the conclusion of Ultimate Fighting Championships uh, number five, he said, Daniel says, I was working back in 1984. He says, did you ever think in your wildest imagination where you would be by 1996? And it just, you know, no one else kind of knew what you're talking about, but all Jeff and I do. I was, I was there with him. I was actually one of his training partners at one point in time. Jeff went on the, I went down the middle. You know, now, uh, you know, we mourn his passing because he passed away back in September. And, uh, I was September, October, because the last I saw him was actually middle of September back in uh, Connecticut when I was back at a uh, mixed martial arts event, and uh, Jeff was one of the uh, was one of the judges for that mixed martial arts event as well. So we just kind of was sitting there and reminiscing from days gone by, and I would have never thought there was anything wrong with uh, Jeff health wise, and you know, then to hear less than uh, 30 days later he had passed, it just kind of boggled my mind. So, and this goes back in the uh, those days, just realizing that life is very precious and you should uh, take advantage of those moments that you do have. Well, speaking of the, because obviously a lot of people know you probably best from the MMA, and if you retired in 84, who knows if what would have happened or anything, but you, oh, you yeah, actually got your... Adam, sorry, please, go ahead. For me saying that, I assume it's very wretched for me, for me to, to go through it, sorry, you know, go into a little tangent that was I really feel like I was at the peak of my career from 1984 to 
thought, well, I can't really hang that. <laughs> I really can't say what I really want to say because it's a little bit derogatory, so I'll just, just let go of that. I, I, even though this took place back in 1984, oh, I still, there, there's still certain aspects of that that still fuel me to this day. Well, there's nothing wrong with a little motivation, that is for sure. But, uh, you would. Going in, jumping ahead a few years to your uh, MMA, which a lot of people know you for, you actually, a buddy of yours, if I had read this correct, had some videotapes of somebody early on UFC fights. Uh, did, did that help, or what made you say, you know what, I want to give this a shot? Oh, um, yeah, a friend of mine out of Detroit, um, at, at the time that the Open Fight Championship was playing, gives the best best-known uh, mixed martial arts company, and then there's a company that actually started uh, mixed martial arts, but the predecessor to mixed martial arts, most of your listeners are used to the term mixed martial arts, but the predecessor before that was known as No Holds Barred. The product that people watch today, mixed martial arts, has approximately 37 rules. Part of those 37 rules, there are weight classes, there are time periods, the athletes wear gloves, and they fight one opponent in a given evening. Going back to that no-holds-barred era is how that company first started. There were only two rules that you had to abide by. Those being, do not bite your opponent, do not stick your fingers in their eye socket. End of the rules. So anything you could possibly imagine and let your imagination go wild. You were good to go as long as you violate those two rules. There were no weight classes. There were no time periods. It was an eight-man uh, tournament. You had to face and defeat three opponents in a two-hour pay-per-view, and this was all done bare-knuckled. So it was... Uh, it's just a whole different commodity than as it, as it is today. But then also, the athletes of today are much better than the athletes of yesterday as well. And the reason I just say it like that is that uh, the mixed martial arts term was not really being utilized. Uh, a lot of the athletes were simply one-dimensional, and I throw myself into that category they might have had just a boxer versus someone from judo, karate versus a sumo, uh, a wrestler versus uh, a Muay Thai. So you were categorized as either being a striker, again, that striker could have been anything from a boxer, a kickboxer, Muay Thai, karate, kung fu, or a grappler, which you could be jiu-jitsu, sambo, judo, a wrestler, and as the sport started to evolve, you know, the wrestlers, you know, when, when the match would start, the match was undefeated. The wrestlers realized, or I should say the grappler category realized that I need survival skills from being punched, kicked, elbow, kneed, until I or jamming my opponent up against that cage wall. And the strikers realized I'm okay while I'm on my feet, but if I should be clinched, taken down, or jammed up against a cage wall, I just lost 90 plus percent of my arsenal. So that is where 
the sports truly started to evolve was as it was unfolding before our eyes. There were no training manuals, no training camps, things of that nature that you did, that you could go into. Should be people were making these up as they went. Now you you go fast forward here close to almost twenty years now later. You are seeing the sport is still evolving. The athletes are still evolving. I think in the next couple years, say say three to five years, you're going to see this new mixed martial art athlete that was basically born with it, has trained uh, from probably age uh, four or five and on. And they are going to be doing some really incredible things that you know, some people like John Jones are seeing what, what he's doing out there and things of nature. I mean, he's going to look old and slow compared to what some of these new guys will end up doing. Uh, so it's just, you know, it just, that's just the evolution sport that uh, this new generation will come up that, that has been with it that much longer, training it and trying to implement new techniques, new tactics, and it, they will, it will come about. Well, uh, with the, as you mentioned earlier there, uh, with the no holds barred, uh, with yourself with a personal uh, wrestling background amateurly, uh, was there another style that you worked against that kind of concerned you because you were disciplinarian a- as a wrestler? Well, yeah. I mean, even though I walked in there and they, um, the UFC, I mean, the UFC has, three, has had three different ownerships. Uh, the very original ownership, I believe, was Orion uh, Gracie and Art Baby, a very dear friend of the family. Uh, second ownership was Bob Meyerowitz of the Singapore Entertainment Group out of New York. And then the current ownership of uh, the Fertitta Brothers, along with uh, Dana White. And, uh, um, would you bring me back up? I'm, I'm, I'm tasked here, Adam. What, what was the original question? Well, you know, was, was there a style that you that concerned you personally that you didn't show it, obviously, to, as a competitor? But was there a style that, whether it was against a boxer or jujitsu or some of the other styles you were talking about, go, whoa, I might have a, this is going to be a tough day in the office. Well, no, it's, uh, well, I mean, really what, what represented the biggest obstacle for me would have been another grappler, another wrestler, because that was the strength. And I brought my premise when I walked in there um, the very first time. I only I was a last minute villain, and I only trained five days, an hour and a half a day, uh, over in Lima, Ohio, with El Snow and a couple of his other professional wrestling proteges. A professional wrestling ring, sixteen by sixteen, uh, was the closest thing that I could find to a cage. And they had an old pair of boxing gloves, and they simply just would rotate the boxing gloves between the three of them. Uh, one would go until they got tired, and then they'd get the gloves, the other guy rotated in on me, and all they would, we were doing was trying to punch, kick, trying to do whatever they could to do, uh, you know, uh, to prepare me. And I was simply just trying to avoid being punched, kicked, close the distance as quickly as I possibly can, get the clinches, takedowns, throws, things of that nature. So once I had him uh, down on the ground, I simply slapped on amateur wrestling techniques, turned him illegal, made him kind of scream and squawk a little bit there, and, and that was my training camp. So I always 
fact, it allowed me to come back again. And now that I knew uh, much more in advance when the next uh, UFC show was going to be taking place, I took 32 days out of my life, and I trained to be a no-holds-barred fighter. Do anything I want except fight or stick fingers in eye socket. And I actually have some pretty creative things that I wrote down there to work, but that I think a lot of people would be blown away now to realize that as I was rolling around with these guys down on the ground, I'd reach up and I would grasp their right ear and just, just, just held it. And I'd, then I'd release and I'd be rolling around getting into whatever different position that I'd reach up and I'd grasp their other ear. And like, oh, they asked me, what are you doing? I said, well, I just ripped your ear off. They're like, you can't do that. I said, there's only two things I can't do to you. That's bite you and stick a finger in your eye socket. Other than that, I can take your life and there's nothing you can say about it. It's in the rule book. <laughs> hey, there was only two rules, like you said. Yep. Uh, well, because I, I, obviously you wouldn't understand this question with the professional wrestling background as well. But with the with both styles of uh, professional fighting that you did, uh, I know you worked a lot in Japan as well as the U.S. Uh, with, with the No Holds Barred or the MMA, was the crowd different in Japan compared to the U.S. fans here? Well, I would say, in, in, yeah, the, the fan definitely was different in Japan. I think that uh, in Japan they have a greater appreciation of professional wrestling. You know, again, I, I'm going at, at, at that same type right now. Again, I I was just in there uh, at, uh, a year ago uh, for yet another uh, professional company, and, and again, it was it was a great kind of a reunion uh, for the uh, old defunct uh, UWFI group, and you know, a great reception of what it took place. But it, it, it had an it had its time, and, and people had moved down from there. But at the time period, when I was going to Japan, incredible crowds, 12 to 16,000 people, which were unheard of for, for a professional wrestling crowd. And uh, they just, you know, they were uh, uh, much quieter than an American fan, but they appreciated it for what it is, you know, a craft in order uh to sustain a little bit of, you know, disbelief, taking on that that character. And, and, you know, they just wanted to kind of just believe in, in what they're watching during the time that, that they're there. Well, I know your voice is a little slow, but I have one more question for you. Uh, I had uh, heard that you were actually doing a lot of training for officers and different lines of professions like that. What can you tell me about that? Well, Adam, I take a great deal of pride in what, what I do, and, I mean, I... I've never been in a fight in my entire life, and people are find it hard to believe from what they see me do in uh, in, in a mixed martial arts uh, matches. But to me, I always refer to that as competition. Uh, even uh, Big John McCarthy uh, he used to say, he says, you know, everybody says you're the only guy out. He says you're one of the scariest guys out there. He says you're just Part round compete with these guys, uh, and, and, and he goes, and these guys are looking to take your your, your head off and, 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 and end your career. He goes, he goes, you're the scariest cat <laughs> because he just he, he got a chance to know me more on a much more personal basis, and then realize what a different commodity I am. I didn't have uh, any of these stories of uh, you know being raised you know as an orphan. 
like the main streets of whatever city and stuff like this. It is like, uh, I don't know how old you are, Adam, but have you ever heard of uh, the TV show uh, Waltons, The Waltons? Yes, I have. Well, I always tell people, I grew up on Walton's Mountain myself, you know, so, you know, one of the, probably the big scandalous type things uh, us rascals would get into is maybe cow tipping or something like that. So, <laughs> a, a totally different industry, I, I, a background that I came from, you know, when you walk out there, not a single tattoo of them on my body that has, you know, piercing in the head. I've had more, more of these uh, young uh, competitors are like, it's like, you remind me of my father. <laughs> which is probably the age of many of their fathers, if not older than most of their fathers. So, and I went off a little bit of, uh, of a tangent there with you, but uh, I just got started just taking a little bit more memory lane on, on some different aspects. But uh, being involved in law enforcement, uh, corrections, I work with the air marshals, border patrol, our military, I take a great deal of pride in what the knowledge that I acquired started way back when, and I would say I started my amateur wrestling career in 1969. I won my first national title in 1972. When were you born there, Adam? 1984, actually, sir. Yeah. Well, I always tell people I've been, you know, I've been uh, competing and traveling longer than most people have been alive. And I, I still know that I will, even though I, I retired from mixed martial arts all my, as I said earlier, I just took one hundred out, throw three more back in. I was, I have always been a very busy person. I will continue to do so. And I will work with uh, mixed martial arts companies to try to take the sport out to the next level, uh, helping athletes. But then also my first love is, is still teaching amateur wrestling, and like I said, due to the way you hear my voice, it is not my normal voice, but being hoarse, because my first love is still teaching amateur wrestling, and I do have my youngest son, who is uh, and just in junior high, so I look at that, oh, the enemy severed will be, uh, will be involved probably pretty heavily for another decade of uh, amateur wrestling, so uh, yeah, I won't be Right now, into the sunset anytime soon. But, you know, your, your listeners, if they want to find out more about all the different things that I do, the speaking engagements I do with juvenile centers, all the programs that I, that I do with kids, what I do with law enforcement corrections, I mean, go to my website at dansever.com. I mean, literally, uh, I've been accused of having co- uh, twins, clones, and even then, because I've been around so long that it can't still be me being out there. I must be the son of, it must be Dan Severn Jr. that's out there around and going, nope, I'm the same cat that's been out there terrorizing athletes around the, the country and around the world for quite a few decades. And I, I'm good for at least one more. Hey, couldn't say it better than my DanSeverin.com. Go check him out, see what he's got going on. Dan, feel better. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? 
Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts, there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's going to make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope want to jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while Sincere Black 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. <laughs> Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shock suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, it's Steve Austin. You're listening to Crazy Train Radio, and that's the bottom line.